We are going to conclude our series, Jesus on Prophecy, today. One more time, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon our study this morning. So let's bow our heads. Uh, Father in heaven, as we conclude this series, but we haven't concluded the learning of your scriptures, we would like to, one more time, pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for all the studies we have done together, uh, for many that have joined uh, um, us during this series. And Father, we have learned so much, and, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to guide us and strengthen us until we all one day can be safe in heaven. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, very good. So the theme for this morning is Jesus on living free and forgiven. Stress, how much is too much? We know that people live under stress for different reasons. It can be family issues. It can be time. It can be school. Or it can be a variety of reasons. It can be also money, work. It can be disease or even the loss of someone that we love. But often stress is also connected with guilt. I could have done more. I could have done differently. I could have done better. Or I have made a mistake. Stress is something that really affects our society today and we can, we can relate uh, to to this picture perhaps in one point or another or several times in our lives and the question is stress how much is too much so the scientists they decided to do a, an experiment to see how much human beings can actually endure stress but they often test uh, with animals and I'm glad that, that they did this te test uh, with animals and uh, I'm actually s sorry for the animals that they did the test, but they chose to do with a lamb. So what they did was they took this little lamb from the mom and put in a pan, and the lamb was there, could not see outside, and there was one feeding, uh, I'm sorry, there was 14 feeding stations for that lamb. And when the lamb went to one feeding station and what the scientists did, they shocked the lamb. So the lamb was feeding and all of a sudden got shocked. And then the lamb, uh, of course, would run away and not know what to do. And then went to another feeding station and start feeding. And uh, all of a sudden, another shock. And uh, that lamb... Uh, tried all the feeding stations to the point that it eventually it quivered in the center and died of stress. It wasn't because of the shock, okay, but it was because of stress. So they decided to do something else. They took uh, uh, the other lamb that was born from the same mother and put in the pan again with a 14 um, feeding stations, but this time they decided to do something different. They decided to put the mom right there in the pan with the lamb. So when this lamb went to the feeding station and got shocked, what do you think the lamb did? Oh, yes, it went to mom like this. Anyone would like to help me to make the sound? 
Okay, so it went to the mom complaining and uh, trying to understand what's going on. And the mom spoke back, so to speak, to comfort that little lamb. And the lamb went back to the same feeding station. And that was something already different that the scientists noticed because the other one, the previous ones, was running from one to the next trying to find safety. Uh, but this one went back to the very same one. And then it got shocked again and uh, it complained to mama again. And mama comforted the little lamb and went back to the same feeding station again. And at one point, the little lamb went all the way to its mom, and the mom comfort probably said something that the scientists couldn't hear, but the lamb kept going back. But the lamb didn't quiver, it didn't die. So they realized that the reason for that was that that lamb had a refuge. That lamb had someone to take the burden upon. And friends, who can bear our burdens today? Do we have someone that can bear our burdens? Because that little lamb, the reason it survived and was able to thrive was because the lamb knew that he could rely on its mom. Friends, the book of Revelation, as we have studied, introduced Jesus as the one who can bear our burdens. Would you say amen for that? And I want to invite you to open your Bibles there in the book of Revelation. Perhaps you can start in Revelation chapter 1. Let's all turn there to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to see different imageries of Jesus that we find in the book of Revelation. And I want you to see them before we consider one in particular this morning. But Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is two ways we can look at this verse. First is a revelation that comes from Jesus, and there is no question about that. This book is a revelation coming from Jesus Christ, you know, all the way to John and from John to the servants of God. But it's also a revelation of who Jesus is. This book reveals Jesus Christ and who he is. Let's just consider for a moment. In this same chapter, it reveals Jesus Christ as victorious, even victorious over death. It also describes Jesus as being the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, that's the, the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet, meaning that Jesus is everything in between. He is the beginning and the end. Revelations introduced Jesus as a conquering king. Notice what we find in verse 5 of this same chapter, chapter 1 and verse 5. It says here, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn, uh, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Notice he's a ruler over the kings of the earth. So notice in chapter 12, I want to take you to Revelation chapter 12. The book of Revelation continues to describe Jesus as a powerful king, a conquering king. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 5, notice what the Bible says here. She bore a male child 
who was to rule all nations. If he's going to rule all nations, it means that he's a king. Then the Bible says, and her child was cut up to God and his throne. That's the resurrection of Jesus when he ascended up to heaven. It says that he went to the throne of God. Revelation 19, you don't need to turn there, but what, what we find there is Revelation coming, uh, excuse me, Revelation introducing Jesus coming in a white horse, a symbolic white horse, a conquering king. Now, Revelation 14, I want you to go there with me to Revelation 14. Let's go to Revelation 14. And there Jesus comes to reap the harvest of the earth. Revelation 14 and verse 14. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man. So who is this Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven? That's Jesus. What event is this that Jesus will come in the clouds of heaven? Yes, it is his second coming. And then the Bible says that he has on his head a golden crown, implying that he will come as a king. And in his hand, a sharp sickle. Notice verse 15. I don't have it here in the slide, but in your Bible you can follow, if you will. The Bible says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Trust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. That's a description of Jesus at his second coming. And he will come as a king to bring us home. Now another description of Jesus in Revelation is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why is it a lion? Because of his strength. Because of the power of a lion, it becomes a symbol of the power of Jesus. A lion is considered to be the king of the animals and a perfect symbol of Jesus as the king of kings. But there is a symbol in the book of Revelation that appears more than any other that I want to call your attention as we bring this series to a close. And that is that Jesus is described also as a lamb. As a what, everyone? A lamb. Okay, so from a lion to a lamb, what a major difference. And that's why I chose to begin with that illustration of a lamb finding comfort in its mother and being able to endure pressure and stress. And friends, Jesus or Revelation describes Jesus as a lamb at least 27 times. And I want to share with you a few a few of them in Revelation 5, verse 6. If you'd like to turn there with me, you're welcome to go there. In Revelation 5, verse 6, we're going to consider a few passages that show Jesus as the Lamb. Here says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and then toward the end of the verse says, stood a Lamb as though it had been slain. So when Jesus comes to the throne of God after his ascension, he is described as the lamb. It says, as though it had been slain. In other words, there was still some form or shape of signs of his crucifixion. And he brings with him the marks of his crucifixion. 
That's why it says the lamb as though it had been slain. Revelation 13 verse 8, the Bible says the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And that passage seems to be strange for some people. Why would Jesus be the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world? Friends, as soon as there was a sinner, there was a savior. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, Jesus was willing to intervene between the penalty and the sinner. And a period of grace was extended to mankind. Revelation 12, you're welcome um, to go there with me. I invite you to turn there with me. Revelation 12, we see that the dragon, representing primarily Satan, it doesn't limit only to Satan. Sometimes it represents those under the influence of Satan. But the dragon, like beast, attacks the lamb and then makes war with his followers. Those that side with the lamb, but we have a promise there in verse 11. I want you to see that there. And they, referring to the followers of Christ, and they, what is the next word if you have in your Bibles? Overcame him by the blood of the lamb. The lamb caused those that accept the lamb to become overcomers. To overcome Satan. The previous verse says that Satan is the one that accuses the brethren day and night. But the blood of the lamb is the key to overcome. The lamb triumphs over the dragon in Revelation. Notice Revelation 17. You're welcome to go there with me also in Revelation 17. In verse 14, it's a description of the last days when uh, all the powers of the world who are against the truth. They make as their target those that would like to remain loyal to God's word and, 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 and its commandments. And notice what it says here. And these will make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb will, what is the next word there? Overcome them that oppose the truth. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him, and hopefully that is me and you, are called chosen and faithful. Friends, the blood of the Lamb, uh, it's able to make us overcomers over Satan, and it can help us to become chosen and faithful to God. But why this imagery of a lamb? Where does that come from? Why Revelation chooses to primarily refers to Jesus as the lamb? And that goes back all the way to the book of Genesis. But the reality is throughout the Old Testament, God instructed his people to bring animal sacrifices. And we're going to explore that for a little bit because that helps us to understand the imagery of a lamb and the blood of the lamb and the lamb that had been slain from the foundation of the world. But it all began after sin came into this world. You, maybe some of you remember in Genesis 2.17, the Bible says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall, what is the penalty for sin? Surely die. God put a test of loyalty in the garden, and that, uh, that test also gave free will to mankind. They could choose not to follow God's way, but the reality is there is no life apart from God. He is the source of life, and he says if you want to choose something else, the result, the path is of death. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what, everyone? It is death, friends. That's the natural result of coming apart from God. And to resolve the sin problem that was caused beginning with Adam and Eve and with all the descents of Adam and Eve because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, without shedding of blood, there is no what, everyone? No remission, no forgiveness. There is no way to remove sin without the shedding of blood. But of course, it can't be any kind of blood. Nevertheless, God used the blood of animals as a teaching illustration. Beginning with Adam and Eve, before leaving the Garden of Eden, they were clothed with the skins of animals. Symbolizing that the righteousness of Christ was going to cover their shame, their, their sin. And the same is truth for each one of us. The righteousness of Christ, the life of Christ can cover our shame. Now, notice in Leviticus chapter 11, I want to take you there to the book of Leviticus. That's the third book of the Bible. Leviticus chapter, um, actually chapter 17. And we're going to read verse 11. In the Old Testament, God instructed his people to have like a teaching device a teaching what if you want a teaching device it was the way that God found to teach his people that didn't have the Bible available didn't have the privilege of the the fulfillment of Bible prophecy the coming of the Messiah or any of that so the way that God found to teach them about the plan of salvation was to ask them to build a sanctuary it required them some ceremonies and uh, one of them was related to bringing a lamb to the altar and sacrificing that lamb. So let's read what it says here in Leviticus 17 and verse 11. The Bible says here, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes what if you want? Atonement for the soul. Atonement, the simplification of that word would be reconciliation between sinners and God. So God is initiating the atonement by providing a sacrifice. As we are going to see, the sacrifice is pointing to Jesus. And God so loved the world that he gave the sacrifice. He gave his only begotten son. It wasn't a sacrifice to change the mind of the Father toward us. The Father already loved us, and He initiated by providing a sacrifice. And those animals, they were pointing to Jesus. 
as the one that can bring reconciliation between the Father and sinners, between God and sinners. God initiates the process of reconciliation that man broke, the, the relationship that man broke. But the point here is that blood makes atonement, reconciliation for our sins. It resolves the sin problem. What did it mean? So let me use an illustration here. Let's think of uh, perhaps a young man. Let's name him. Any name there, any suggestion? I don't want to call um, a name that we have someone here. I don't want you to be thinking of an individual here. Mark. Let's think of Mark here. So you have Mark, and let's say that Mark perhaps he stole something. And then Mark realized that he made a mistake and he's under conviction. And he realizes that uh, he is guilty and he is feeling the pressure of that guilt. The Israelite in those days, God's people in those days, they knew exactly what they needed to do in order to make reconciliation between him and God. It was this teaching illustration that was teaching them what to do. They had to, first of all, Look for a lamb. Look for what, everyone? Look for a lamb that was spotless, without blame, perfect, because that lamb was a symbol of Jesus and his purity and perfection. That was supposed to teach the individual that as soon as we sin and we are under conviction, the first thing we need to do is to seek for Jesus, even though we are guilty. And I venture to say, especially because we are guilty. And then after he found the lamb, he would bring the lamb to the sanctuary structure. And there he would come to the courtyard and he confessed his sin upon the head of the lamb. Upon where on the lamb? The head. And that was a symbol that his sins was being transferred to the lamb. The lamb was now bearing his guilt. Let me read with you in Leviticus chapter 5. Let's go there for a moment. If you are still there in Leviticus, I'll go to chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 5 and 6. Okay, Leviticus chapter 5. Verse 5, the Bible says, And it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. Let's stop right there for a moment, just understanding this verse a little bit. When the Bible says that he is guilty, he shall confess his sins, okay, in that thing, meaning it will be specific. His confession will not be like, God, forgive me of all my sins. It will be specific on that thing that he has sinned. And our confession should be specific as well. And then verse 6, the Bible says, And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed. And the trespass offering often was a lamb. Depending on the economic status of the individual, it could be other sacrifices, but they all pointed to the one that would bear the guilt. And there, he himself would slay the lamb, not the priest, but the sinner himself would slay the lamb. And that was a vivid image that 
his sin caused the death of the sin barrier. And that was that innocent lamb. The lamb was burned on the altar, and the priest took some of the blood and brought inside the sanctuary where the sin went inside and the sinner went outside, and he left his guilt on the altar, on the head of the lamb. The sin now is transferred to the sanctuary where Jesus would plead before the Father. Remember, the Father made provision for that pleading. Why did God require these sacrifices? Notice in the book of Hebrews. Let's go there together to the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, help us to understand God's intent with those sacrifices. Not because God had pleasure to see the slaughter of, you know, goats and, and sheep and lambs and bulls for the different ceremonies related to the atonement of sin, but that was all teaching devices to impress the mind of these people that sin caused death and that they need to have a sin barrier, and the sin barrier would be provided by God himself. Notice in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, the Bible says, But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come. What would be these good things to come? Let's read it about it. With the greater and more perfect, what if you want? Tabernacle, okay? The more perfect tabernacle is speaking about the true one which is in heaven. Okay, which he asked Moses to make a copy, to be that teaching device that we just talked about for a moment. So he came to that greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, meaning it was made by God himself, that is not of this creation. And then verse 12, and I'm using the King James here just for the sake of the different translations that I prefer the King James now. Neither by the blood of goats and calves that he came to the sanctuary. By what kind of blood? His own blood. Meaning that he is the one who bears our guilt. He entered in once into the holy place. Some translation says most holy place incorrectly. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. And notice in verse 28. Verse 28 it says here. So Christ was offered. How often was he offered? Once to bear the sins of many. Friends I want to meditate on this verse for a moment. In the Old Testament, those sacrifices were done every day. And they could not take away the sins of the people because they were all symbolic of Jesus Christ and what he would do eventually for us. But the sacrifice of Jesus was only once. And then the Bible says, if you look carefully in this verse, to bear the sins of many. That was the primary purpose. The purpose of Jesus' sacrifice is to bear the sins of many. We need someone to bear our sins, friends. Every lamb or sacrifice pointed forward to the Lamb of God. One time a lady came to one of these meetings that we did on Jesus on Prophecy. And she came to the pastor overwhelmed with guilt. 
And she said the reason for her guilt, it was she had an, aff an affair 17 years before that resulted to an abortion. And uh, a great part of that guilt was the fact that she couldn't bring that life back. And the pastor said to her, if you were in the Old Testament times, you would have to look for a lamb and bring that lamb to the sanctuary, confess your sins upon that lamb and transfer your guilt upon the sin barrier. And that would be the answer for your guilt. But you don't have a lamb and you don't have a sin barrier either except you... Uh, you accept Jesus as our, your sin barrier. And that's the only way you can find freedom from guilt. And freedom from sin. To be free from guilt, we must first acknowledge. And that lady, she recognized she had made a mistake. She was ready to receive freedom. The Holy Spirit had already brought conviction to her heart. She needed to know the one that could bear her guilt. If I come to Jesus and confess my sin, the burden of guilt is rolled away. Would you say amen for that? And that's what we sang this morning, friends. Hebrews chapter 9 and 14, if you're still there, you can follow with me. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, the one that was shed on the cross of Calvary, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot of God, meaning that he was perfect, cleanse your what, if you want? Your conscience from that works, meaning the sins, the guilt, to serve the living God. Friends, the blood of Jesus can cleanse our conscience. If we accept as a free gift, it's not about merit, but it's about a gift and acceptance and faith. And perhaps there is someone here this morning who is burdened with guilt and feeling unworthy. And I want you to know that in this very situation, God is near you and he loves you. Go with me to Romans chapter 5 for a moment. Go there with me for a moment. Romans chapter 5. And I want to read two verses here in this, in this chapter that help us to see that. Notice what it says in verse 6. For when we were still... Without strength, in due time, Christ died for what kind of people? For the ungodly. Notice in verse 8, But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, the devil wants you to believe that you are not worthy enough to come to Christ. But the Old Testament teaching device, as I 
as I mentioned before, said, as soon as you sin, you look for a lamb. And you come, you bring that lamb, you confess your sin, and you accept the free gift. Friends, good works cannot atone for our sins. I cannot make myself righteous before God by doing good deeds. I cannot find forgiveness or release from my guilt through my good deeds. It has to be through the one who can bear my guilt. And that's Jesus, friends. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a moment. Let's go there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we are exploring this theme because as we close this series, I think we are doing fairness to the book of Revelation, exploring Jesus as the Lamb, his role as the Lamb. Notice what we find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Beautiful passage. It says, For he, that's Jesus, made him, who, uh, excuse, that's the Father, for he made him, so God the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin to be what for us? Sin for us. How come Jesus became sin for us? It's it's a poetic language to describe that he bore our sins. He took upon himself our guilt and the penalty for our sins. That we might become the righteousness of God. And what are the two next words? In him. We become the righteousness of God, not apart from Christ, not first and then we go to God, but it is by accepting him and his righteousness, his spotless life, his perfect life and his purity, that's when we become the righteousness of God. And God the Father looks at us through the righteousness of Jesus. That's why Jesus, when he prayed on the cross of Calvary, he said, my God, my God, why have you, what is the next word there? forsaken me if you study more about the bible you will see that what caused separation between an individual and god is sin for instance isaiah 58 verse 2 says that and jesus felt that separation because he became the sin barrier for humanity let's go to ephesians chapter 2 for a moment ephesians chapter 2 and that's um the passage that we find uh, that such a such a grace it's a gift that cannot be earned through works notice carefully here what we find in verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith that's how we receive by accepting by trusting in the promise and that not of yourselves. It is what, everyone? It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Forgiveness of sins and cleansing from sin. The righteousness of, of God. It is the gift of God. And then it says in verse 9, Not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, I cannot erase my sins by doing good works, by even obedience from now on. The debt is still there to be paid. And then in verse 10 says, 
so we can have the proper order of things, for we are his, what now? Workmanship, so we accept his grace, not by works, but through faith, we receive his grace, and once we receive his grace, we are now in the hands of God. We become his workmanship. For what purpose? Created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works, which God has prepared or before ordained that we should walk in them. Question for you, what comes first? It is the grace of God, the gift of God, or it is the good works that come first? It is the grace of God. The good works is a response to that love, to that gift out of gratitude to what God has done for us. It springs from our heart a life of obedience and good works. Notice, Lord, give me the gift of salvation. That should be our prayer. I come with an open heart. I come to the cross. I come believing that Jesus is my lamb. Is that your prayer this morning? Let me, as I'm bringing this to a close, share with you quickly five simple steps to receive the gift of eternal life. Number one, accept the fact that God, what everyone, loves you. A lot of people have a hard time accepting that. Perhaps they were not loved as growing up or whatever reason, so they always look at God as one who is angry at them. But accept the fact that God loves you. Notice Jeremiah 3.13. I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's an infinite love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have done what with you? Drawn you. Number two, recognize that you cannot save yourself. You cannot, friends, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified how much it cost? Freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's number two, friends. Recognizing that we cannot save ourselves. It has to be in Jesus through His gift. Number three, believe that Jesus can and will save you. No matter what you have done, friends, God can forgive you. This very same phrase that I just mentioned to you right now was a phrase that helped me to come closer to God when I was um, um, a teenager. I received this flyer, and I remembered that I was speaking about things that I had done in life that I didn't want to do it or I was ashamed of doing. And as I was speaking to a friend of mine about that, in that moment, somebody came with a flyer and gave it to me. When I read it, it says, no matter what you have done, God can forgive you. And that's the message for you this morning too. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes, whosoever, it's, the invitation is open, should not perish but have everlasting life. Number four. What is the next word, the first word of number four? Confess your sins to Jesus and believe you are forgiven. Not because you deserve, but because he has offered his life for your sins. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what, what kind of unrighteousness? 
all unrighteousness. It goes back to that uh, idea, no matter what we have done. And number five, claim his gift of eternal life and decide to serve him forever. Make a decision for him, friends. Make a decision for him. And the promise is that as we enter in this journey with God, let me just go back here for a moment. We become new creatures. Second Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It doesn't mean we are mature. But now the purpose of our life, our lives have changed. Our desires have changed. We want to grow in grace. We want to be close to God. And in that process, there will be a lot of mistakes as we learn how to walk the journey of faith. But through his grace, we can be renewed every day. Notice what it says here, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The invitation is open. And the spirit and the bride say, what is the word? Come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come, whoever desires. Notice, whoever desires, let him take the water of life for how much? Freely, as much as you want. It's yours. I want to close with John chapter 6. Let's turn our Bibles there to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I'm going to read uh, here with you verse 37. Notice what Jesus says here. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means, what's the next two words? Cast out. If you are afraid that God will not accept you, He's saying, if you come, by no means I will cast you out. That's a beautiful promise, friends, that God in Jesus is, desires to embrace the world, to embrace your life. And he wants to accept each one of us. And friends, why not make a decision today to place our sins, our guilt upon Jesus and confess and accept his gift of forgiveness. Is that your desire this morning? Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.